Glory to God. It's good to see everyone this morning. Welcome and good morning to the open door. We're so glad to have you with us this morning and be and have an opportunity to love on you. It's good to see uh, family and guests and friends being here with us uh, and those online uh, worshiping with us this morning. Let's just take a moment, go on a journey together. Uh, and so as I was thinking about the idea of a journey, any of you ever kind of got in a car and just started driving? Back in the day, we had maps. Anybody remember that, where you had a map that stretched the full length of your window, and, and you had a navigator, and you had those expert navigators, maybe it was your spouse sitting on the right side of you, and they were trying to navigate you to the next point. Maybe you had point A, B, and you were going on a cross-country journey. At any time during that process, did you have a moment of frustration? Somebody? Oh, I see one hand went up. A couple of hands went up. So maybe we've had on, on the journey, had those moments of frustration. And maybe it's been driving or maybe it's been trying to figure out the course of life and which way should I go. And maybe there are some things that you thought about and you felt like maybe I'm not enough or maybe I'm not equipped or maybe I feel helpless or maybe I just don't feel like I can, I can work it all out. And there's been that time of frustration and even agitation. Maybe you've gotten some news. Things were going the way you thought they should go. You were on the path. You were on the course. And then you got some news that just kind of threw you off. It caused you to maybe have to stop. And maybe you looked around and there wasn't a rest stop for you to be able to just rest. And you were on the side of the road and you were broken down. And you just felt defeated. So often life can feel like that if we're not careful. Feeling like we're on this journey. We don't really fully understand the way, how to get there. And it can be a lot of frustration and agitation, feeling defeated. But I want you to know that there is hope and there is joy and there is encouragement. That God never meant that for us. And that he has given us the way. Amen? So the title of the message today is The Way. The Way. And we can stay fixed upon the way that we have in Christ. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the book of John, the 14th chapter. And our scriptural reference today will be coming from verse 4 through 6 of the book of John, the 14th chapter, verse 4 through 6. And here's what it reads. And whether I go, you know, and the way, you know. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word today, Lord. We ask you to speak to our hearts, Father, that your engrafted word would prick our hearts, would open our eyes and give us ears to hear, for us to know that we are steadfast in you, that you truly are the way the truth, and the life, and that we can trust in you all the days of our life. 
No matter what it may look like, Lord, we can trust you. In Jesus' mighty name we do pray. Amen. So as we take a moment to, to give a little bit of background and dissecting this, these are words that Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. And the backdrop of him having this conversation of saying those, those words that we see in the sixth verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We can take a moment to look back a little bit and see what's happening. See, Jesus is telling his disciples a couple things. He's giving them some news. He's giving them some shocking things that they may were not ready to hear. Because they had spent three years walking with Jesus, uh, uh, allowing themselves to be a part of his ministry and how he's ministering to the brokenhearted, that he's sharing the good news that I'm the Savior of the world, that God sent me, that none should perish, that all should come into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so they've seen signs and wonders and miracles walking with Jesus. And then as we look a little back in the 13th chapter, the 33rd verse, Jesus says, I'm only going to be with you a little while. That's shocking to them. I'm getting ready to leave you. And then he makes a comment, he says, where I go, you cannot go with me, in verse 36. So he says, I'm leaving, and you can't go with me. And then he throws another third thing that kind of shocks at least one of them, Peter, and probably all the rest of them, and then he says, and you will deny me. You'll turn away. You'll be in fear. And so can you imagine the disciples, here is Jesus that they believe is the king of the world, that he is the king of the Israelites, that he has come to redeem and to save, and they fully haven't seen it for themselves because they're still on the journey. They haven't seen the fullness of his deliverance just yet. They've seen signs and wonders, but they've also seen people coming against them talking about them, being unkind, not understanding them, causing frustrations, to lack food and stuff. Does anybody identify what it is? To maybe having not their car, but their donkey breaking down. So much so that he had to go borrow somebody else's. You ever had to borrow somebody's car? But now he says, I'm leaving. You can't go. And you're probably going to be so fearful that you're going to deny me. And so look at verse 1 of chapter 14. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. See, there's two words that in the Greek we really need to just take a moment to translate them and, and, and understand what they truly and really mean. See, that word trouble means to be agitated, to be stirred up. He says, let not your heart be agitated. Let not your heart be dismissed about what I'm saying, to be hurt, to be agitated, to be stirred up that it causes your heart to fall. 
for you to lose trusting. That's what the next part means. To believe means to entrust. That we give everything over, that we trust him with our all in all. See, it doesn't just mean, it doesn't mean to believe that he is God, to believe that he is, you know, that, that figure that we can worship, but it means to trust him in all. He says, he says, so you trusted in God. He led you out of bondage. You trusted in God. He parted the Red Sea. You trusted in God. He get, brought you to the promised land. So now that you trusted in him, trust also in me. And so then he starts explaining some reasons why you can trust him. Some reasons why you can have your hope and joy in me, in me alone. And so that's what we see in the next couple of verses. He, he, he begins by saying, in my father's house are many mansions. Now think about that. Sometimes when we think about mansions, we think about these big, glorious buildings that has many rooms and many layers, and they have golds and cobblestones. And even when you look in the book of Revelations, around the 21st chapter, you can see some depiction of the space and the vastness of the new Jerusalem and the new heaven. So much so that if you were able to just continue to put people upon people upon people, you still would have about two acres that everyone would have. Because it goes wide and deep and vast. But that's not what he's talking about when he says here, in my father's house, there are many mansions. See what that word really means in the Greek? It means there are many dwelling places. There are many dwelling places. In other words, he's saying to us that before you were formed, before you were, were, were cre created in your mother's womb, God was, was preparing a dwelling place for you. That he didn't forget about you. That you were on his mind. And now Jesus is saying, and I go, and if it were not so, I would have told you, you can trust me. I go to prepare a place for you. He says, I'm not just gonna, it's not just going to stop with, with, with there being a dwelling place, but I'm going to prepare it for you. And see, that meant something for, to the Jewish people. Because in that day when a man and a woman would, would, would be betrothed and they would be married, the husband would be patrolled a year in advance. And so it was just like they were married by law on paper. And he would go back to his father's house, and his father would have land and property, and he would spend that year building on that house. He would build and prepare for his bride. You see, you think about that, saints. Nobody would do that if they weren't planning on coming back for their bride. Nobody would take the time and the energy and, and, and the process to build if they were planning on not coming back. So he says, I go to prepare a place for you. You can trust me. 
While I'm building, I'm thinking about you. While I'm building, I'm thinking about all the glory and majesty and the, and the fun and the joy we're going to have together. He goes on to say, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. He said, I'm trustworthy. You can trust that where I am, there's a day coming that you'll be there also. It's guaranteed. It's written down. It's unbreakable. And so he gives us a, a picture that he's coming back. See, in the in the, in the Jewish culture, they didn't have the ceremony just yet. The bride would, would, would commit. He would be patrolled for that year. He would go back and build a house. And then he would come, and the celebration would begin. There would be a great celebration, a wedding, and, and, and excitement for the bridegroom coming back for his bride. God is saying to us, Jesus is saying to us, that there is a great celebration coming. That there is a time of rejoicing coming. He says, hold on, trust me. I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be. We're also reminded of promise. Because Jesus says, and whether I go, you know, and the way, you know. So often that's the part that trips us up. To try to figure out so much the process of the way. What is he talking about? What steps do I need to take? What scripture verse do I need to read? What how many prayers do I need to say? What is the way? And Jesus said to him, and you know the way. And just like Thomas, maybe many of us, it frustrated him a little bit. It agitated him. And he spoke. Well, many of us may have not spoke the words, but we, we, we thought it inwardly. See, I love that about Jonathan. He'll, 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 he'll speak with many of us sometimes we don't want to speak. <laughs> Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? He says, I don't know, Lord. I don't know where you're going. How can I know the way? And so God really wants to speak to our hearts. And so Jesus made that statement. The way you know. And Thomas says, maybe out of frustration, agitation, we don't know the way. And how can we? And so think about that a little bit. 
I heard a story from a gentleman named Rick Palmer. And he was a deer hunter. He would go out with archery with his bow and arrow, and he would hunt for deer. And his wife loved to be able to do artwork with leaves. And so as he was out hunting, he was shooting his bow, and uh, he saw some leaves on the ground, but he didn't see any trees around him. And so it perplexed him, but he picked up the leaves to bring home to his wife. And as he brought the leaves home to his wife, he expected her to be excited about it. He expected her to give, to, to be excited that he was thinking about her and picked up some leaves for her. And as he handed her the leaves and she examined them, she responded to him, I can't use these leaves. These leaves are fake. She began to show him that they were plastic, that they weren't real leaves. See, Rick couldn't see very well. And so he just saw something on the ground, and he picked it up. And so often that can be like us in our relationship with God. Because we get perplexed, maybe we don't see very well, maybe we can't, you know, we don't fully understand, so we will just pick up anything. We'll live a life of tradition and religion and think that is the way. We'll live a life of process and procedures when the way was never intended to be a process, it was always intended to be a person. The person of Jesus Christ. See, we accept a way, but God wants us to accept the way. And so let me take a moment to just break down what Jesus is sharing with us in verse 6. Jesus said unto them, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. See, as we think about the way, Christ is not merely the way as in the best way, as an example, or merely as a prophet or pointing out unto them by his doctrine the way of salvation, but he is the way of salvation. By his obedience and his sacrifice, and there is not any other way unto the Father. He is the way the Father appointed unto salvation. He is the way the Father appointed to us to walk in newness of life. He is the way the Father has appointed for us to be victorious in this world. The method by which the world would be saved. See, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And verse 17 says, For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Through him. Which was entirely agreeable on the perfection of God. It's the only way. It was the only Christ that was sufficient enough 
for the perfection of God and suitable to the cause and the condition for us as sinners. Knowing that we could not do it for ourselves. He is the way to all blessings of the covenant of grace. See, grace means God's unmerited favor. See, our favor is, a, favor is upon us because of Christ. Now, yes, we get to do a little bit of it, but it's because of him. That in him we move and breathe and have our being. It is the way to heaven. He has entered in, in, it, into it himself by his own blood and has opened a way to it through himself to his people. So I know as we, as we think about it it, 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 it may sound a little gruesome that there's this great God. Let's maybe say it's a wall that's separating us from God. And the only way that we can get from the, here to the other side is to walk through the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. To accept what he has done. And allow him, not our own abilities, not our own strength, to be our way. He went on to say, I am the truth. He is not only true, but he is truth itself. This may regard his person and character as it identifies in his deity. He's saying this, I am the truth. When we think about the deity of God, the perfect righteousness of God, the holy and the majesty of God, that it's true and righteous. And Jesus makes this statement. He says, I am the truth. Saying, I'm the true God. I'm eternal life. I'm holy and righteous. I'm not just a prophet. I'm not just a good man. He not just taught the way of truth, but he is truth. He was not just faithful in sharing the truth. He is the truth. He's not just a king that abides by the truth and the way of truth and the administration of truth, but he is truth. He is the sum and the substance of all truth of the gospel. Every word is Jesus. Every moment, every inspiration is Christ. And so that really perplexed the Jews of his day. How dare would he say something like that in opposition to the thinking of Judaism? See, this scripture seems to be opposed to the notion of the Jews that the law was the true way of life. They had lived it for years, for hundreds and hundreds of years, and was confined by what they saw as truth from the law. 
so much it bound them. It put them in the bondage. It put them in slavery because they misunderstood what was truth. God had given them those words to free them, and they used them to be enslaved to the process. The Jewish religion had a saying that Moses and his law are the truth. So this is a strong statement to say that Moses himself, that he was truth. And maybe they wouldn't go extremely that far in their thinking. But when they say there is no truth but the law, they do not speak truth. Jesus said it. He said, I didn't come to condemn the world. But that the world might be made wicked in me. If you look a little farther, there was a question that they would ask in the Jewish culture. They would say, what is truth? It is said that they would respond, he is the living God and the king of the world, which are characteristics that we would agree when it comes to Christ, that he's the living God and he's the king of the world. Jesus made a statement in John 8, 32. He says, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Think about that. So often I've read that scripture, and I said, okay, if, if I know the word, the word will make me free. If I understand God's precepts and his knowledge, it would make me free. But that is not what Jesus was talking about. He was saying, if you know the truth, you know me. You know Jesus. The truth. Jesus Christ. The living God. The only begotten son of the Father will set you free, will make you free. You shall know the Christ, and the Christ shall make you free. But because many stumbled at the truth, at that understanding, they missed and are missing the way. And then he comes to the life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, Christ is the author and the giver of life. He gives us natural, spiritual, and eternal life. But truly, he is the way of life, the living way, in opposition to the law. See, here's what Paul was mentioning when he, when he was talking about the law as so far being the way of life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, Paul speaks of the law being the letter, and he calls it the ministration of death. 
He says here in verse 6, who also have made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his consciousness, which glory was to be done away. And I just want to take a moment to just think about that. Because Moses was up in the mountain. He was getting the tablets. But see, it wasn't the tablets that was causing him to glow. It wasn't the written word and him following and being obedient to that word there that was causing him to glow. It was because of the presence of God and that God was speaking to him, that life was in his presence, that truth was there with him, and that he saw the way and it caused him to glow. So we're not putting down the law. I don't want to give that misunderstanding because there are good things in the Old Testament that we need to be studying and learning. But they should never supersede the one who is truth and life. So verse 8 says, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? Jesus Christ came in spirit and in truth. He came to dwell among us. He wants us to know that, the, that he is the word and the word is living. And that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that we can hold on to him and none other. And it will be glorious. So what the law could not do, it was fulfilled in Christ. Look with me in Romans 8, chapter, verse 3 and 4. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Who walk after Christ. Not our, not our own, not our own ways, not our own doings, that we throw our map out of the window and take up his map and allow him to direct our path. See, Christ is always and ever with us. He is alive. And those that are in Christ shall never die. And it is the only way that leads us to eternal life is in Christ. See, his life concludes all the characteristics of God the Father, of Christ in one sentence. Christ is the true way of eternal life. Christ is the true way to 
eternal life. It is added by the way of explanation of him as being the way. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Christ is the only way of access unto the Father. There is no coming to God as an absolute God without Christ. Not upon the covenant of our works, not upon the steps of our prayers to move God the way we want him to move us, to change his mind. Because his word is truth. Not to get a mediator that's going to pray us into heaven. When we've rejected him as the way, the truth, and the life. But only by accepting that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And allowing him to come in and lead and direct our lives. Allowing him to be first and foremost in everything that we do. Allowing him to be truth and life. And show us that he is truly the way. Because he is the life, eternity awaits. Because he is the life, Truth is no longer a stumbling block. And it's removed that stumbling block because he is the truth. Because he is the way we can come to him in the person, not the law. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son whoso believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He spoke to the disciples. He said, you know the way. You spent three years with me. You've seen truth. And you've seen life. Maybe you were tempted to look at the process of me healing, of me delivering, and getting excited about the healing, but missing the life that came to heal. But in your heart of hearts, you know the way. Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Whatever it may be, whatever the chore, whatever the trial, whatever the affliction, I'm the way. Whatever the pain or suffering, whatever lie that may come your way, I'm truth. And rest assured, I'm life. And I'm coming back. destruction no destroying 
that the devil could ever try to heap upon you. Will ever be able to deceive.